I know it's the third or fourth time we've said it, but we want to welcome you to Mac Ave. Uh, if you are in need of a Bible, simply raise your hand, and one of our uh, amazing brothers in the Lord or sisters in the Lord will get a Bible to you. Uh, we're going to be going through uh, the 16th chapter of Exodus today. And so uh, I want to invite you to a couple of things. If you're new to Mac Ave, uh, in the midst of preaching, we actually allow uh, individuals to raise their hand and ask a question. Uh, it we just ask that you do it with the intent of edifying the whole body. Uh, if you have a question that is unique to maybe something that you've always wondered and something that would help you worship as an individual, then great. Let's talk about that after service. I'll, I'll be right up front. I would love to talk with you. Uh, but if you think that there's something that can provide clarity to the entire congregation uh, from the text, then we want to invite you to ask that question. Uh, and we'll do our best to answer it now or follow up with you at a later time with an answer. Uh, will you join me in praying as we uh, get into God's word today? Father, we thank you for this time. and uh, We seek to delight in your ways, for you are good. Now, Lord, as we uh, turn to your scriptures, let them speak to us. Remove me so that you may be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been uh, in the book of Exodus for some time now. We just came out of the 15th chapter of Exodus uh, where the people of God were worshiping with song. And right after they, they respond to God providing a way through, uh, through the Red Sea, after he provides a way, provides safety, provides security, right after he saves them, uh, they respond in song and they worship him. And it's right after that opportunity of worship that they get confronted with an opportunity to worship or to reject. And unfortunately, uh, they chose to, to reject a holy God that was pursuing them and caring for them. And we talked about God and God testing them. And that a test actually is a good thing. That a test from God has an end point of refining you, of making you a bit more able to proclaim his glory, to point honor and attention towards him. That test is good. Temptation is not good. Temptation has an end result of sin. Temptation has an end result of your demise, my demise. But a test is God desiring to re refine us, to delight in us as we each time respond in obedience. So now we enter into chapter 16. Would you read with me? We're going to go through uh, the first uh, section of verses. And in 16, it starts. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then Moses said, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. 
So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. So about a month has passed since the people of God started out on this exodus route. And we are brought into this story understanding not just the situation externally, but we're understanding the heart of the people of God as we enter into chapter 16. Now, uh, I love children. I love children a whole lot. I have four of them, so I don't have a choice. (laughs) But one of the things I really love about kids is that they do not know how to hide their emotions. If a kid is happy, you will see it. It's clear. If a kid is not happy, it's clear. And one of the things, though, that rubs me the wrong way with children is like that, that nails on a chalkboard is when children whine. You know, you ask them a question. Hey, are you hungry? Well, are we having vegetables? You know, it's like the answer just gets drawn out longer and longer because that whining gets added to it, you know? Whining, it, 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 it shows a discontent. It shows a complaining heart. You know what an adult whiner is called? A grumbler. A grumbler. So we get welcomed into the heart of the people of God. This people who were just provided for by God. He said, I'm going to provide for you. Your attacker is coming after you. Look, you thought there was no way out. Here's a Red Sea. I will part it. And how quickly they go back to whining, to grumbling. This, this, this quick look shows us the heart of them, but it reflects on the heart of God. Because you and I both know <laughs> when you have someone that's whining, to care for them and deal with them takes patience. So we're getting insight even into the character of God that he is a patient long-suffering God as he deals with these people who in chapter 16 start off grumbling. So this God loves them. He's chosen his people to be his own and he hears their grumbles. He hears their, their grumble that they're hungry and he responds. Now when he responds, he speaks through Moses. And speaking through Moses, Moses is speaking to the people. And each one of these tests is a test with the intention to train the people to listen to the ear of God. Excuse me, listen to the voice of God. Train their ear to listen to the voice of God. The whole hope is that as he gives you these promises, gives you these commands, guides you, that you will have an ear to hear. Why? Because God is preparing to take them on a journey that they're going to need to depend on him Every step of the way. When he says stop, they're going to need to stop. When he says go left, they're going to need to go left. When he says go right, they're going to need to go right. 
So the tests that he's giving them are to prepare them to not care about what they see, but to only depend on his voice. And this is going to be tough. It's going to be real tough for them. So he starts with changing the very character, the very way in which they think, okay? Because the people of Israel are an agrarian society. That means they're farmers. They go out and they plant. They put things in the ground and they wait for the harvest and they reap the harvest. Now, as you can see, or maybe not, I know there's some black farmers for sure, but I'm not from the, from the rural areas. I'm not a farmer. But I got a little bitty, uh, little bitty, what we call it, baby? Raised bed in the backyard. Oh, garden. She calls it a garden. Okay. <laughs> we have some raised beds. So now, I, even I know you don't plant one seed and then plant that on Monday. Come back on Tuesday, plant one seed. Come back on Wednesday, plant one seed. And then next week, hope to reap a little harvest on Monday. Great. Those will be our vegetables for the day. Reap a little harvest on Tuesday. That'll be, no, like that, that, you don't farm that way. When you farm, you dig a long trough, you put all your seeds in, because when that season of harvest comes, you bring it all in. Why? Because at that point of you bringing in and reaping the whole harvest, there's security. You know your family will be able to eat until the next harvest comes. See, there's a whole mindset that as they reap, as they sow, they're going to be able to reap. As they plant, they're going to be able to harvest. And God is saying, you know what? You got it all wrong. See, you're used to your actions reaping the harvest you need to be able to provide for your family. But I'm trying to train you to hear my ear. I'm trying to train you to listen. So guess what? No harvest. No big security. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit every day. Every day, I'm just going to give you enough that sustains you for that day only. And you're going to now have to let go of your independence and become totally dependent upon me. Because I'm trying to train you into listening and hearing my voice. Scary, isn't it? Scary. I've been, I've, been, I've been blessed to have the generous support of individuals that helped us, my wife and I, be here as we raised support to be here. Blessed that Pastor Eric even gave funds from, him, from himself. He raised funds to help see Rebecca and I be here. Blessed to have a congregation like you guys that gave, give tithes and offering, that allow our staff to be present to lead. But when I was graduating school, and my friends were going off making starting 70, 80,000. I, I remember I come home to my mom and I'm like, Mom, I think, I'm, I think the Lord's calling me to be a pastor. She's like, Really? <laughs> she got sad. She got sad because in our hood, pastors were broke. Pastors didn't have any money. Pastors either lived barely check to check. Or they worked a 40-hour week and then came home and worked a 40-hour week in the ministry. Burnt on both sides. 
And so I remember when I, when I began to, 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 to say, okay, it's not just me anymore. Cool. I can live off of, you know, jelly sandwiches. I don't need peanut butter. I can live off jelly sandwiches. You know what I'm saying? But I started to court this woman. And now I had to wrestle with, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to leave my home. I'm supposed to care for this woman. Can I be content if you only provide for us check to check? Could I still be content in you? Could you be content if they took away your 401k? If they took away your savings account, if the checking account was gone, if the home was repossessed, and he still allowed you to be provided for with just enough that you needed for that day, could you be content? I wrestled with it then. I wrestle with it now. But it's our call. It is, it is his call upon our lives, not for extravagance, but for dependence upon him 100%. And am I saying everybody go cash in your 401k and buy? No, I'm not saying don't be wise stewards. What I am saying is our stuff means nothing. Because if, if, if our history in the past 10 years has modeled nothing more than the things that we can build up our, our, our assurance on can crumble. Our companies, our positions, our investments. But will our foundation upon who God is be rocked? See, he was, he was trying to change this agrarian culture who invested themselves and said, no, I got to change your mindset so you'll depend on me and depend on me alone. So Aaron and Moses, they make it clear, you ain't grumbling against us. You're grumbling against a holy God, but he heard you. Go with me to verse 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, the thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given to you, given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need, take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Family, my intention today is the same as Moses, who wrote this thousands of years ago, and it's found in verse 12, that you will know I am the Lord your God. All of these instances, all of these occurrences are taking place so that the people of God will know that he is the Lord, their God. That we will know that he is the Lord, our God. 
So, so the reason why he's trying to get them to depend on him, why he's showing I'm going to provide for you every day, is so that you'll see no other God can do this for you. Only me. So believe in me. This is a God that we can trust, a God that we can put our security in. But ultimately, it's, it, it's also a fulfillment of his promises. In verse 13, it says, that evening the quail came and it covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. You can trust in him to meet, to provide, to do what he says he's going to do. Earlier, he said he would be sending meat. Then here, it takes place. It, it, it shows us, it gives us insight into God's providence and God's miracles, okay? God's providence and his miracles. God's providence is his sovereign hand guiding all things to bring him glory within his created order, okay? He has a created order. But then a miracle is God's sovereign hand guiding all things to bring his name glory outside his created order, okay? So, so what's the difference? Vadi Body, Bachman says it like this. He says um, that, that God's created order is something that happens like birth. Birth is, is his providence, okay? Birth itself is not a miracle, okay? Birth itself is God's providence, okay? Because it happens again and again. He has a created order. We've seen it happen again and again. It's not a surprise of how babies are born, okay? A miracle happens when Jesus is conceived with no sin and no father's contribution. You see the difference? One is in the created order, still God doing his thing. You're still supposed to worship his providence, his daily giving. We still worship. We're thankful for every kid that comes. Thankful for every mother, for sure. But the miracle takes place when there's something outside of the created order that happens, and you're like, wow. Okay? Let's, let's take every day. Every day you walk. You move around. That's God's providence. There's somebody who's jealous and would love to walk like you do. They see you walking, and they're like, man, I've been in this wheelchair for a long time. Or I'm injured, and every time I take a step, I'm reminded of the pain. You run freely. That's God's providence, and you need to be thankful. A miracle happens if today Mike walks on water. You see the difference? A a miracle is supernatural. It's not in his created order. It's, It's in his order that we can walk around. It's not in his order, last time I checked, that we can walk on water. So here, we see God's providence in him caring for his people but him doing a miracle why because God says look I'm going to provide for you guys I'm going to give you food every single day every morning that you wake up but here here's the miracle I'm going to set it up so that if you try to grab it and be greedy it's going to die I'm going to set it up so that even on the sixth day you can get double Okay, the the portions that I'm giving you every day, you now can get double that portion on the sixth day because I want you to rest on the seventh day. See, that's a miracle provision. That's something that is out of his created order that, wow, 
This God says, I'm going to show you guys the beauty of who I am and the control that I have that providentially I've been caring for you all along. But then I step in and do something that's beyond what you can even imagine in a desert with no food. I bring food to you every morning. It says that it's, it's as sweet as honey. Honey was the only thing that could be added to, we, they, they didn't have, you know, sugar like we do nowadays. Honey was a thing that if you wanted something that was like the best taste you could imagine. We're talking about, you know, a, a pineapple upside down cake with yogurt on it and you put a cherry on top. I mean, I'm talking about the good stuff. You know what I'm saying? And he's saying, I'm not, I'm not giving you a bowl of oatmeal with no seasoning. I'm, I'm giving you Something that's delightful to the taste. To show you that I do perform miracles on your behalf. That you can trust in me. That your security can be in me. That I am alone, your God. But also notice that it's sufficient. In verse 18 it says, and when they measured it by the omer, The one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. This is like an interesting insight into community. Because you know in community, you know, let's say you work somewhere and they start giving out raises. They start giving out raises and people begin to compare themselves. Wait a minute. She come in late all the time, and she got a raise. Well, wait a minute. I'm here every day, early, doing everything they want me to do, and I didn't get a raise. You see, you got to take your voice up high when you don't. I didn't get a raise. You know, you begin, you, when, when the rashes start coming out, you begin to compare yourself, you know, And this says, actually, there's no need for comparison. Because at the end of the day, everybody received what they needed. So a family of 12, man, they're taking a lot of food. Look at all the food they're taking. Family of two, that's all they have? It was appropriate. God is saying, no, while I'm caring for the corporate people, I still know your individual needs. And I'm going to meet them. It's going to be sufficient. I'm going to care for you. So this God, he's showing you and I that he alone is the God of the people of Israel. And he alone is our God today. He's showing us that he's patient when we grumble. That we can place our trust, our security in him. That we can can shift from a mindset of of being independent to depending on him fully. That he will step into our situation and provide miracles at certain certain times. And now would you turn with me to to verse 20. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. 
He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a, a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning and Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the Sabbath day to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the Sabbath day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the Sabbath day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to keep uh, for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. And Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Ephah, excuse me. Yeah, we'll go with that one, ephah. Notice in verse 23, he says something. He says, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Sabbath means stoppage. It means to to stop. It means to rest. But not simply just to rest, meaning don't do. Also, the goal here was to rest so that you would remember I am your God. So there's a goal here. The end goal is to remember what God has done, okay? It's not so that we can just have a vacation, kick our feet up with a margarita and chill. The aim is that as you relax and don't partake in your daily activities, that you would reflect on this God. But we are from from one thing to the next thing, from the next thing to the next thing so quick, even in our day-to-day. Issues fade back into the background really quickly. I could, I could spit out names that were like just everywhere. I mean, smeared everywhere. And you couldn't, you couldn't escape them even if you wanted to. Like, like Kwame Kilpatrick, there was times where that name, just like every three sentences, you heard his name for something, you know? That, when President Obama was running, you know, name everywhere. Um, Mike Brown. Uh, who won the series, World Series last year? I don't know. A new year about to start. You know, it's like we, we hear something and we move on so quickly to the next thing. And in that happening, we keep getting inundated with new information to digest, new things to wrestle with. How will I engage with that? How will I, you know, consider that? What does that mean for my life? And God is saying, through your work, your work can be noisy. 
so noisy that you don't stop to hear me showing you that I saved you. So would you rest? So you can quiet the noise. There was a, a, uh, a study done about noise. It says noise affects human behavior in some significant ways. In one experiment, they carried out uh, some psychologists studied students leaving a library and they intentionally dropped an armload of books. In 50% of those cases, a passerby uh, stopped to help the students and pick up the books. Then the experimenters brought out a lawnmower with a muffler that had not been quieted. And they started it near where the students were. And again, they intentionally dropped the books. This time, only 10% of people who walked by helped. It was clear that the behavior changed because of the ear-splitting sound of the lawnmower. In experiments done in L.A., researchers found that children that live in neighborhoods near airports could not complete certain tasks when jets were landing or when they were taken off as easily as kids in quiet neighborhoods. Some students, some studies even done in prisons show that high levels of noise cause a lot more complaints than the food and the poor conditions. That a prisoner, of all the craziness that he experiences or she experiences, the one thing that they would point to is the noise. Family, why do I, why do I point these things out? Because there is a desire to get you not to be able to hear from God. Not to be able to pause and reflect on his saving grace in your life. There's a desire to keep filling your ear, filling our minds, filling our time with noise. And God is saying, not only am I asking, I'm commanding that you would pause. I'm commanding that you would have a break. I'm commanding that you would have a rest so that you can hear from God. But, but more importantly, in this situation and in our own, that you would take time to reflect on you being freed from slavery. They were freed from a physical slavery. We're freed from a spiritual one. What effect, what effect does it have on you? That you have not taken time to, to, to sit back and think upon that miraculous act that took place in your life. What, what is the noise doing? How does the noise affect your worship? How does it affect your devotion? How does the noise hinder you from being able uh, to be on mission? Family. What, is it, what, what does that look like, Pastor? Give me three steps to what, what Sabbath rest looks like in my life. I don't know. I don't know your life. What I do know is that you, when you are intentional about something, when you say, this time I want to set aside because God, I'm in, a, I'm in a rhythm and I need to stop that rhythm. I want to pursue time with you. You find ways to get creative. You find ways to enter into that presence. But there's a, there's a couple of ways that I think that are, that are, that are unhealthy. And I, I just want to bring those to our attention. Because some of you rest by protecting. You set out your, your food. 
You did the DVR. You got your, your show that you about to watch tonight. And nobody bet not come in this room for the next three hours because I'm in my zone. Protecting, you know, like, hey, this is my plan and don't mess up my plan. This is my me time. OK, that's not rest. That's not Sabbath rest. OK. Others may be like me. I'm a shifter. OK. And, and what we do is we, we, we have, you know, five days that we work, maybe six days that we work. And when we get that day off that we don't work, we shift everything in the world in that one day. So now from the time when you wake up to when you go to sleep, it's packed with stuff. And though you're not doing your normal day of working at your job, you may be more busy than you are even at work because you've shifted everything into that time. Just because you didn't go to work doesn't mean you rested. See, God is calling for us to say, what does it look like for you? And I'm telling you, I, I share this with you and encourage you in it as I'm confessing it. What does it look like for us to, to be intentional about pursuing God so that we can reflect on the things he saved us from? Namely, sin and death. For them, it was they had just recently been saved from Egypt. Saved from, from, from slavery. But God shows us something else, family. There's a, a, a posture of the people that starts off in, in verse 20. And in verse 20, we get some, uh, oh, I lost my place. We get some insight into the way the brothers or the sisters, uh, some of the ways they treated Moses. I like to call them Mo when they disrespect him. Some of the ways they treated Mo. Verse 20 says that they listened to everything that Moses said. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It actually said they paid no attention to him. Ignored him. Disregarded his guidance. Acted like he wasn't even there. And did what they wanted to. So in verse 20, would you say that was a response of obedience or disobedience? Disobedience. All right. Whatever, Moses. (laughs) Verse 26. Don't go out on Sabbath. Don't go out on the Sabbath. Don't work for food. I'm providing it so that you can experience the rest. Don't go out and work for it. Don't try to get extra. And in verse 27, obedience or disobedience? Disobedience. Some folks go out anyway. Yeah, whatever Moses is saying. You know what? I need to store up. I know he provided every day and even gave me double yesterday. But you know what? I'm going to go out today and see if he does another double up. Let me get that. You know? Showing. I don't, I don't know if it was fear that motivated this rebellion or if it was greed that motivated. Whatever it was, it shows again 
God's gracious posture. Because even though there were people who ignored Moses and even though there were people who went out and tried to get their own, when God says, I'm going to provide it for you, why are you trying to get it yourself? I've given you a double portion. Even though that was the case, God still says, I'm going to still provide manna for you for the next 40 years. That's a picture of grace. That's a picture of even when I've been in rebellion, even when I haven't chose to listen to you, yet and still you provided. Yet and still he cares for them. Yet and still every situation that takes place in Exodus from here on out, that morning God said, here's the sweetest food you're going to ever be able to have. And we're going to see the people of Israel as we continue in this series. We'll see the people of Israel do some great things that bring God honor and glory. And they do some things that hurt the heart of God in ways that we can't imagine. And even on those days when they hurt him dearly, he says, here's the sweetest thing you've ever tasted. Such a picture of his grace. Such a picture of his favor, of his mercy unto us as his chosen people. And the greatest image of grace that we have is that of Jesus. In in John chapter 6, Jesus has just, uh, he's just fed 5,000 people. Jesus has just walked on water and this, this crowd confronts him and they confront him with a question and they ask in verse 28, they say, What must we do to do the works God requires of us? And Jesus says quickly, he says this, he says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So then they say, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In essence, they're saying, okay, Jesus, Moses, to show the people that God was real with them, Moses gave them manna. You saying you God, what you going to give us? What what you going to bring down from heaven? Moses brought manna down that fed and cared for the daily needs of the people that they can put their trust in, that they can put their hope in, that that they could change from being an independent people to being totally dependent on him. Yeah, Moses got manna. Jesus, what will you bring? And he says in 32, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to The world. See, Jesus is acknowledging, yeah, it did come from heaven, but you elevate Moses too high. God was the one who worked through Moses to provide for the people. And guess what? God is working again through me to care for you. Because now he's going to say in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's saying that that manna that the people of Israel referenced, that they depended on, 
that they were willing to change their whole worldview and how they operated, no longer agrarian people who built up a big old harvest, daily could depend on God. That type of people who were self-sufficient now are 100% dependent on God because of a little manna? Guess what? You can do it because I am the bread of life. Not simply a life that provides, just, just cures your little hunger in your belly, but an eternal hunger that you will have forever if you are a part of me. But it's crazy because we even see that same term come up again in verse 41. We see that same term that started off our verse in 16. It says that this, the Jews there began to do what? Say what? Say what? Grumble. Here we are. Not satisfied. But here in verse 15 is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is saying, Everything, everything, everything they experienced in the wilderness can now be experienced in me. Will you delight in me? Will you partake? Will you see me as your bread of life? But first you got to, you got to see that he's our sustainer. He's trustworthy. We can put our security in him. That changing the way you behaved beforehand is worth it. For you to be totally dependent on him to provide for your every need. That he, he knows our corporate needs as an entire church, but loves us enough to care for your individual needs as a person. We see his miracles and his daily provisions as sufficient, but also his grace in the midst of when we choose to rebel. His grace still is sufficient and provides. Will you taste and see that this Jesus that he is good. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you help us see the need to rest in you because when we don't rest, Lord, uh, we so quickly think about the next ministry, the next way we can serve, the next thing we can do. And Lord, you want us to pause and just reflect on how good you have been of your saving work in our lives. Guide us, Father, so that we may bring you glory. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.